I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. And as promised, Cousin Doug is here. Cousin Doug. That's right. Doug Kide, one of the latest, newest members of PFF. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, uh, Cousin Steve and, and Cousin Sam. <laughs> well, that's a lie now. You and I are legitimate <laughs> cousins in law by marriage. All right. And Doug, uh, Sam is not. We, the yeah. difference between co- Cousin Doug and Cousin, or Cousin Steve and Cousin Sam pretty minor that's how minimal the uh the actual connection is we're all cousins somewhere along the line but yeah doug as as i mentioned on the last show of course my my wife's stepmom's cousin's daughter's Stop. husband Stop. is doug right <laughs> yes. i think i don't think i missed any of those uh degrees of separation right yeah uh, that's where we're at that would be a shame when it said that fast it kind of you know puts your mind into a pretzel but yeah i believe you got that perfect Listen to us. Second cousins in law. Yeah, second cousins in law. So (laughs) anyway, we're happy to have Doug here. And your official title, Doug, is National NFL Reporter. Give us a little background on what you were doing before and then how you ended up here at PFF. For sure. Yeah, I was covering the Patriots for eight years at Nesson. Uh, You know, (laughs) got out of that grind of Bill Belichick press conferences and everything like that uh, and took on this national role at PFF. And I'm I'm really excited about it. Really happy about it. I actually watched a Bill Belichick press conference this morning, like out of habit. And the only thing I was really thinking was kind of glad I'm not there. Kind of glad I don't have to do this every day anymore. You know, you have to like make something up to write about, you know, him saying nothing essentially. Is that, yeah, he seemed particularly unhelpful this morning, which are those days that, uh, yeah, you really start to question your sanity. So anyway, you went, you went all, all across various training camps, right? So you, you went all across the country. And, and I want to get into some of the stuff that you saw that you learned and everything. So let's start, let's start with Matthew Stafford and the Rams. I know you made that West Coast trip. We've talked about Stafford a ton here in the, the Rams, and there's a lot of hype out there. What, what's the feeling in the building with the Rams? How do they feel about having Stafford versus Goff and, and the excitement level out there? It, it is interesting because I went into L.A., you know, kind of wondering what the hype level for Matthew Stafford would be. And, um, you know, I, I was I was a little bit hesitant about it. I wasn't sure how you'd fit into that system, but it really seems like everything that I was hearing there in LA is that they are extremely excited about Matthew Stafford. And that's just beyond everything that he brings physically with his arm strength. They were really happy with what he brings mentally. They said that he learned that system, uh, that Rams offensive system extremely quickly. Now he's teaching other guys the system at this point. And 
that's very difficult. The Sean McVay offense is a lot more complicated than what Matthew Stafford had been running in Detroit. So I think that there might've even been some questions when they brought him in to LA about how quickly he would adapt, but it really seems like he's adapting extremely quickly. And like I said, the hype is really high in the building for Matthew Stafford. So everything that you were kind of hearing after they made that trade that, yeah, Matthew Stafford could jump into that upper echelon of quarterbacks. That's what they're seeing. And that's what they're feeling. So really good vibes there in LA about Matthew Stafford. Did you get any kind of indication from them? Like, what is it that sold them on Stafford? What is it they're looking for Stafford to bring? Because it's definitely, it's not just as simple as he's a better quarterback than Jared Goff, right? There are specific things that they covered in Matthew Stafford, which, which they think makes it worth the giant trade that it took to get him, as opposed to just the, you know, the, the kind of up, the scale of upgrade that they got. I think it really is simply that he can do things that other quarterbacks can't. I know how simple that sounds, but it, it's really kind of opened up their offense a little bit with the arm strength that he has, uh, with everything that he can process at the line of scrimmage. I think that they're just, like I said, it, it's allowed them to open up their offense a little bit more. And he, he had a lot of downfield threats in Detroit, and you're starting to see, you know, the, the Rams may be bringing some, some downfield threats as well this season. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, uh, all the things I heard about him are good in L.A. as well. I'm not sure if he'll actually be a full-time player with the Rams. He might be sharing that number three role with Van Jefferson. But I think it really does just break down to the tools that Matthew Stafford can bring, and it just allows the Rams to do more in their offense because of who they have at quarterback. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, you if, if you're Sean McVay and you're that coaching staff, you've got the great Zach, Zach Robinson out there as well. You're sitting there very confident in what you've done with the Rams, right? You're, you're confident in what you've done offensively since 2017. You know what Jared Goff's skill set is. It's easy for them to view it through that lens, right? To We always talk about this, Sam, the, the can-do, the quarterback, what can he do? And we also always mention the things that Stafford can do are ridiculous and incredibly at that no, I mean, it's one throw, but the no look throw that he had last year, it was against the Titans in the end zone. He, he does that, right? He has that ability. So the Rams really looked at this and said, we did all this with Jared Goff. Therefore we can do that much more with Matthew Stafford. It's a weird situation where they're actually specifically targeting that, right? The idea of a can do player, because in part there's this idea which is magnified. I think this happens in the draft generally, but it's magnified with this offense that this system, my offense will make this guy look better on a down to down basis. Like he, his baseline will improve. And what we really want is the guy that can do some of the things that the current guy can't. So, and there, there is definitely evidence um, that that is the case. When you look at when Seth Galina came on the pod, he was breaking down some of the data points that show that. But another one is, if you just look at grade um, or PFF grade on any throw that went beyond the first read for the last couple of years, and also on big time throw rate as well, the last couple of years, Stafford is number one in big time throw rate on throws beyond his first read. Goff was 30th. So you're, you're going from literally one end of the extreme to the other. And even though the sort of the first read stuff, the initial baseline is not necessarily that much different that's in two completely different offenses. So McVay and the Rams are looking at that and saying, well, we will change that baseline. And what we really need is the other thing is the thing that Goff just couldn't do. And that is worth the two first round picks to us. 
Doug, did you get any vibes on the the defense? Because that that's as big of a question with the Rams as well. You know, with uh, with Brandon Staley moving on and uh, Raheem Morris taking over. Same defense, same concepts, and how that transition's going. They are trying to make it as seamless as possible. It seems like from Brandon Staley to Raheem Morris. I, I'm I'm questioning a little bit exactly what they're doing there on defense because when I was down there, Jalen Ramsey was in the slot the entire practice. <laughs> I'm not sure if that has continued on as the summer has progressed but that that made me wonder if that was the best course of action for the Rams because he might be the best slot cornerback that they have on the roster he might be better in that role than you know guys like Darius Williams and and David Long but are you taking one of the best outside cornerbacks in the NFL and hurting yourselves by moving him inside? And it's also a question about value there too, where Jalen Ramsey is the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. Is it worth putting him in there in the slot when slot cornerbacks typically make about seven or $8 million a year. So very curious to see what they do there at cornerback and when I was there, that was the day that Hunter Renfro was, was burning Jalen Ramsey out of the slot. And maybe in those situations where you've got that small shifty guy, they don't put Jalen Ramsey in the slot as much. Maybe they're just giving him that experience in the slot for when they do need him there. Um, but that was really the, the one thing that, that made me wonder, um, you know, a little bit about what they were doing there in LA, just seeing him in the slot so heavily and seeing him struggle a little bit against a player who's good like Hunter, Hunter Renfro, but certainly isn't one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Well, you can be a, a final arbiter on that because Jalen Ramsey came out after all those reports and said, you know, he'd watch the tape again, didn't see any of these plays where he was burned. And it's obviously just people not understanding zone coverage. So what, what, which is it? Is, is Jalen so, trying to save face or was he actually burned? I think that he was trying to save face to a certain extent. There was a deep uh, completion to Hunter Renfro where it certainly looked like he beat Jalen Ramsey. If it was zone coverage rather than man coverage, like Jalen Ramsey is saying, it's possible. Did not particularly look like it that way to me. But there was another play too where Hunter Renfro actually went up and caught a jump ball over Jalen Ramsey, which Jalen Ramsey actually kind of acknowledged after the practice that, yeah, he got one on me. I also, th there was some video that came out. I actually had it on my phone. I wasn't sure if it was allowed to be posted or not, but there was another play where Hunter Renfro really beat Jalen Ramsey off the snap, uh, put a double move on him and, and was running free into the end zone. Derek Carr actually overthrew Hunter Renfro on the play. So it don't, didn't go for a completion, but you definitely saw that Jalen Ramsey was struggling a little bit with the quickness of a player like Hunter Renfro. And I mean, that's to be expected. Jalen Ramsey is a big cornerback. He, he's been a really good outside cornerback. He's been pretty good from the slot, um, you know, in his career. But when you look at him, you think, okay, that's a, that's a really good boundary cornerback rather than a really good slot cornerback. It's definitely something to monitor. And, and Ramsey came out and was kind of coy about, oh, I can't wait until they unleash my, my new role in this new defense. And I don't know if that's going to be uh, a part of it, but uh, that, that when you get burnt deep, and it's 0 for 1, you know, we have the battles with fans all the time, right? That's going to be bad PFF grade, but it shows up as 0 and 1, 0 for 1 in the stats. Ramsey actually had a couple of those. He was great last year, but he had a couple of those last year against uh, against DK Metcalf, where he got torched deep and then Russ missed him. I do want to talk about the Raiders and their receivers as well beyond mm -hmm. Hunter Renfro. But first, a reminder, the fantasy football draft season is upon us. And Doug, you'll love this. It's time to put the PP back in PPR League mm -hmm. with the sponsors of today's show. It's Manscaped. Don't, not uncomfortable at all here, Doug. We all have, we have fun with this. They're the leaders in below the right. waist grooming. 
and they just launched their new performance package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers front office neglected Aaron Rodgers. Remember, don't forget. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscapes.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code PFF. Inside the performance package 4.0, you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the crop preserver ball deodorant, the crop reviver toner, and the performance boxer briefs, and of course, Sam's favorite, the travel bag. So it's 20% off, free shipping as well with the promo code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code PFF at manscaped.com. Of course, if your significant other is nagging you about how much time you put into your fantasy team, you might as well gift them with beautiful balls with Manscaped. Perfect segue to the Raiders. Yeah, 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 yeah. Smooth. <laughs> what? It feels like there's a missing, like there's meat on the bone left there, so to speak, between the performance package. There's a pun there that hasn't been used, is what I'm saying. Like the Manscaped, the creative people, the guys writing the script, performance package, package. I mean, come on, that pun writes itself, and it's not in, it's not in the read. Maybe I need to em- uh, emphasize it differently. Performance well, package. Maybe you're saying it's already there and you're just not plus PFF is performance and manscaped is package. I mean, I mean maybe you should give them there. some, some feedback. Like, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll send back guys. Some, this some read notes. is outstanding, but I have an extra pun that would add even more to it. Uh, it's not a, it's not a read Sam. It's all natural. That is sorry. My, okay. Th- those are my natural thoughts. When I say read, I meant organic product, completely placement organic of a thing. You really organic love organic product placement of a thing. I love. Thank you so much. That's how we do it here. Manscaped.com promo codes, PFF, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, go check it out. Uh, Raiders camp, Doug, were you buying into all the hype? You got uh, Brian Edwards is what a combination of T.O. plus Randy Moss. Big questions about Henry Ruggs. And of course, Hunter Renfro apparently just keeps getting open. Yeah, it it was interesting. While I was down there, I I wanted to get a a gauge on on what the rest of the team was feeling about Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs and, and all these wide receivers, because John Gruden did a fantastic job of hyping up Brian Edwards as the next TO. And then I think, yeah, another Raiders beat report said, actually, he's a little bit more like Randy Moss, which was incredible. I, the, the, the sense around the team outside of John Gruden is like, okay, let's hold on. Let's actually wait to see this in a game because that's really something that Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs haven't done a whole lot of at this point. Uh, but they are certainly going all in on those young wide receivers. You throw Hunter Renfro in there as well. Uh, I had a good sense that Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards were going to be the starters this year with Hunter Renfro and that John Brown would be on the outside looking in. Wasn't quite sure if he was going to get released or not, but that you know wound up bearing itself out that John Brown was released from that team, that they're rolling with those guys, Zay Jones, Willie Sneed. But still, you have to see it in a game from Brian Edwards. And maybe it was just that John Gruden thought that, you know, Brian Edwards looks like T.O., but in the practice that I was down there for, he didn't make many plays. Henry Doug, Henry Ruggs did have a, a big, long completion. But I don't know, there's a lot of hype there, but not a lot of substance so far. So really curious to see how those guys actually do once the lights come on and, and the regular season actually matters. Yeah, and we've talked a lot with the Raiders. I mean, look, Gruden and those guys, they've done a good job with the offense. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big question mark with those receivers. I mean, you can, if you defer to the track record of they had a good offense last year, they turned Nelson Aguilar into one of the best deep threats in the NFL. Let's just say we give the Raiders, they'll, they'll figure that out offensively with Ruggs and with Edwards and, and that trio there. But again, it's like I asked about the Rams, like what happens defensively with the Raiders here? It's a massive question mark. That is the one place where they have not gotten better year over year, Gus Bradley comes in running that system. Did you get a sense of any optimism on that side of the ball after three years of being one of the league's worst? 
you know what the Raiders actually performed pretty well in that practice I think they had you know two or three interceptions uh against Matthew Stafford a couple of those were tip passes but you know I think that they really are pushing Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs so much because they need those draft picks to actually hit because a lot of the defensive draft picks at this point have not hit. We just saw uh, Tanner Muse cut a third round pick from last season, uh, signed to the Seahawks practice squad, uh, even a, a guy on offense, Lynn Bowden. He only lasted a few months there with Las Vegas. Uh, and then some, some recent high picks as well who aren't starting uh, on their offense, like Damon Arnett, uh, uh, like a uh, uh, defensive end, uh, Cleveland Farrell. It, it's, there's a lot of things that they need to figure out draft wise and if guys like Damon Arnett and Farrell were performing better then I think that we would look at that Raiders defense as as being in better shape or even a guy like Tanner Muse who they, who they just cut so yeah that's that's where the biggest questions arise it's not a great sign that they're bringing in KJ right right before the season uh, that he'll probably have to slot in as a starter uh, they're going to be without uh, one of their cornerbacks uh, uh, for a suspension to start off the season. So it looks like rookie Nate Hobbs will be starting in a slot there. So definitely a lot of questions, a lot of things to figure out uh, for the Raiders on defense, but that, that's a wait and see. Uh, I don't think it's nearly, they don't, they aren't even pumping themselves up as optimistically as they are on offense at this point. Do you, did you, how, what kind of impression did you get about the sort of step that Henry Ruggs has taken between year one and year two? Uh, and is it a risk to grant John Brown the release that he was looking for? Because in the offseason, that looked like a fantastic piece of contingency planning, you know, an insurance policy that, hey, look, we would love Henry Ruggs to step in to all those targets that Nelson Aguilar was getting deep down the field. But if he can't, here we can pivot to John Brown, who's got this long proven history of being effective in that role. Then, you know, John Brown sees, as you said, the writing on the wall ask for a release and they, they let him go. So now it's all on rugs. I think there's a risk there. I, I, from the feeling that I was getting there, just from talking to as many, you know, people who are connected to the Raiders as possible there, there wasn't a whole lot of confidence involving Henry Ruggs. And there was a direct comparison made between what they'd seen from Jerry Judy at that point to what they were seeing on the field, on the practice field every day from Henry Ruggs. And it was just that he didn't have that same level of confidence once he got up to the line of scrimmage, that there wasn't that same confidence that he could be, you know, press coverage, that he could get off the line uh, in, a, in a forceful way. So that's the biggest thing. He's an undersized player. He's a deep threat, but he's a really fast player who, if I remember correctly, at Alabama really wasn't used that much as a deep threat. So they're kind of taking those raw tools. They're trying to hope that that 40 yard dash and all that speed, that world-class speed can translate into him being a really good deep threat, but he has to do everything else involved with the wide receiver position before they get to that point. So we'll see if it's improved by the time the season starts. We'll see if it improves as the season goes along, but the confidence was really what I was hearing that, that they had some concerns about just that, that at that point in training camp, which is, Probably not the greatest thing that you want to see from the first wide receiver taken in last year's draft. Uh, got a lot of tools there, but you have to wonder if, it, if they took a more limited player uh, than guys like Jerry Judy and guys like CeeDee Lamb that went a little bit later. I mean, that was the debate at yeah. the time, right? I mean, look, Justin Jefferson last year ended up being the best of those first round wide receivers. But at the time, it was a fair discussion. CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy 
two best route runners, most polished. There was, I think there was a fair debate between CeeDee Lamb versus Jerry Judy. Who do you prefer? Who do you like the most? And they both looked really good in year one other than Jerry Judy's drops, right? I mean, they were as right. advertised as far as route runners, as far as playmakers. And Ruggs was the guy that needed the most work. So did the, I mean, this was always my debate. Did the Raiders go in and say, we just want to develop a guy that looks like Tyreek Hill. We just want to have our own Tyreek Hill, <laughs> our own take the top off the defense guy. We'll make it work with Ruggs. Or do they actually think that Ruggs was a better all around receiver than those other guys? I mean, at least this year, it was a similar debate this year because you have Jalen Waddle versus De Devontae Smith. And at least this year, the people that wanted to make that case could point to that weird subset of plays where, um, Jalen Waddle had some better numbers than Devontae Smith and Devontae Smith, you know, 160 pounds. So there are reasons to be sort of scared away from him. But you go back a year before and you make the same discussion between um, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. There's nothing like Henry Ruggs at no point was even close to the, the level of productivity that Jerry Judy had. He's not even close to the level of route runner. He's got speed. And that's about it. I, like that was the entire basis of the decision is one guy runs a four, two, the other guy doesn't. Now you can also say he's also got the ability to go up and, and high point a ball in a way that, you know, Judy might not, but it was such a more difficult sell over Judy, let alone CD lamb who does have all those things, right? The ability to go up and moss DBs at the same time. It just, it never made any sense whatsoever for him to be the first wide receiver off the board. So if you're the Raiders and you make that declaration, you've got to be right because look at the receiving group. And my last question on this, right? I mean, when he got drafted, I was asking myself, are the Raiders going to feed rugs just to justify this pick, right? Are they going to use 95 jet sweep, you know, tap passes and, and force the ball down the field? Are they going to use him as a high volume receiver or just understand he's a speed receiver? Any thoughts on that? Especially because Edwards is a more possession, you know, his TO possession type receiver, any, any feeling on usage pattern between those, those two second-year receivers? I think that they'll probably be used pretty similarly. I think that the target shares would probably be pretty even. I think that maybe some of that stems from the fact that John Gruden was hyping up Brian Edwards so much, but you're looking at them both entering year two, both coming in as starters. It seemed like they were basically hyping both of them just as much as one another coming into this year. So, but I think that there's a significant question, and obviously you guys know this, about just how many targets that both of them will even get in general, because you throw Hunter Renfro in there in the slot, he'll be targeted. Uh, their top targeted uh, player, obviously, is going to be uh, Darren Waller. Foster Moreau, their other tight end, has got some hype this year. He actually looked pretty good in the practice that I was at. Then you throw the, the running backs in there as well. Josh Jacobs can be targeted out of the backfield. I think that they really want to use Kenyon Drake as a weapon out of the backfield, someone that might be able to share the field with Josh Jacobs, used out of the slot a little bit, maybe split out wide. I think that they really wanted that weapon out of the backfield and Kenyon Drake. So, I mean, it's a team that's got, that's pretty deep as far as offensive playmakers go, when you go too deep at running back and at tight end three deep at wide receiver. So I don't know. I don't get the sense that they're going to be force feeding the ball to Henry Ruggs. Uh, but ultimately, you know, there does come a certain point where a front office has too many misses. And I'm not sure if, if Mark Davis is going to be the one to make that call that, okay, guys, we've got to start hitting on some players here. Uh, but so there was a sense that they were going to force Ruggs and Brian Edwards into the starting roles, but I really didn't get a great sense that they were going to force them the ball once they're actually on the field. But to save themselves some face, they, they might want to. 
All right. I want to get into the Giants. I know you spent a lot of time over there in New York, but a reminder to fire up your tailgates because the NFL's back and get in on the action before opening night kicks off with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving all customers the opportunity to participate in this year's no-brainer offer. You heard it on the PFF NFL Daily today, but the DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread of the Tampa Bay game to plus 73 for all customers. Tampa Bay plus 73. That means you can still cash in as long as the reigning champs don't lose by more than 74 points against Dallas. Seems like it is a no-brainer. If you haven't tried DraftKings yet, don't miss out. DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet just $1 or more on any football game here in week one. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFFBET. New customers bet $1 on any football game to receive $200 in free bets instantly with promo code PFFBET. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Free bet promotion for new customers only. It's a minimum $5 deposit. Max wager limits apply. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, Doug, I mentioned you were with the Giants quite a bit. So we've got Daniel Jones heads into year three. They've added a ton as far as their playmakers go. Kenny Galladay, draft Kadarius Tony. I want to talk about Tony in a minute too, because it seems like, I mean, it was like 10 days into camp before he caught his first, first pass. Was that right? It was something ridiculous like that. Uh, but the Giants offense, Daniel Jones, his expectations, and what the heck is going to happen with that offensive line? It's tough. I mean, I think that this is a major prove it year for Daniel Jones because you know, I was at three practices involving the Giants. There were two joint practices with the Patriots I went to in New England, and then one uh, in New York. There was a little bit more of a walkthrough, but you just got the sense that, you know, Daniel Jones was missing those wow plays. And that's something that he really hasn't had a lot throughout his NFL career of just those wow throws. And I know that he was better last season uh, than the stats bear out. And he certainly didn't have a lot of help from his offensive line or from his offensive play, play uh, pass catchers. But I think that this is just a massive year for him, for Dave Gettleman. I think that Joe Judge is going to be safe unless they really absolutely tank. Uh, but I, I do feel like this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones, where he has to show something more than he did last season. And as a rookie, as you mentioned, I think that they will get help from their offensive playmakers. Uh, Kenny Galladay uh, should be a big add into that offense. Getting Saquon Barkley back is big, but that offensive line is still in really rough shape. And one thing that I thought was really interesting just involving the Giants is that they wanted Matt Peart to win that right tackle job. It looks like Nate Solder is going to be their right tackle this season, but just the fact that they were willing to keep Nate Solder even on the roster as someone who is competing for a right tackle spot when his cap hit this season is $9.5 million, his salary is $3 million, usually on most teams that have a solid offensive line, that would be a pretty obvious cut or trade candidate heading into training camp. The fact that they let him carry this out and actually win the job with that high of a salary tells you where they are offensive line wise. Uh, they had a, a few retirements this off season. They were just bringing guys in there at the end of training camp, trying to fix up that offensive line. I don't think that any of that is really going to work. I think that Daniel Jones is going to be under siege this season. Uh, so it could be tough for him to prove it, but you know, he's got some adversity. I think that he has to prove it even through all of that this season. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the question is, does he even have the chance to prove it given right. the line that's going to be in front of him? It feels like Daniel Jones right now is kind of being set up for a 
a no win type of season, not as in that the giants are going to go winless, but there's no way that Daniel Jones can exceed expectations given what's going to be in front of him. Yeah, it is tough. Uh, Sorry if I cut you off there, Steve, but I think that at the very least, I think that you do need to see some of those wow moments from Daniel Jones this season. I think that you just need to see that spark and then maybe that will carry him on into 2022 and beyond. But if it's, if it's more kind of blah play from Daniel Jones there in New York, then maybe they do look to move on after this season. Then maybe Joe judge can kind of start over fresh with a new quarterback at some point. The interesting thing about the solder thing is he hasn't played right tackle since 2011, since his rookie (laughs) season, when he started out as a swing tackle. So we we're talking about Panay Sewell being the number seven overall pick and people are like, Oh, how are you going to move a left tackle to right tackle? Uh, We saw Donald Penn do this a couple of years ago. He was a, eight, 10 year left tackle. They moved him to the right side. And of course the O-line community is like, well, you definitely don't do it at that point. You definitely don't do it at that point in their career. And then he gets hurt because it is different movement patterns in the whole thing. And Solder, you know, he, he opted out last year. He didn't have a great 2019 and he's moving to a new position. So it is, uh, it is just, it's a risky proposition on paper with Solder at right tackle, Andrew Thomas coming off a rough year at left tackle in the interior, probably, even worse than the tackle situation right now. Uh, Did you get any sense about Kadarius Tony and where he lands? Or do you have anything else on Solder in the line there? Just on, you know, flipping a guy from left tackle or right tackle real quick. Offensive linemen that I've talked to have literally described it as like, okay, try to write with your left hand. And, And I don't know if it's that bad because I don't think that I could ever get used to doing something like that. But that's where you're starting off with there from switching from left tackle to right tackle is that it really is that much of a switch. Uh, Going on to Tony, I I don't know if Kadarius Tony actually even practiced when I was on the practice field. He he was limited by injury. Uh, He was limited by COVID. It seems like he was really slow uh, to come back from both of those things. So I would not expect Kadarius Tony to be a major factor early in the season with the Giants. And it certainly helps that they do have Darius Slayton and Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard to kind of ease him into the offense. But he's a guy that I do wonder when he'll actually even see the field because another guy, you know, not exactly like Henry Ruggs, but kind of a, an offensive playmaker more than a, you know, really solid, um, consistent wide receiver at the University of Florida. Great guy to get the ball in his hands. Um, but I think that there would have been a learning curve for him anyway, coming into the NFL and now him having such a slow down training camp, no preseason. I think it could be a really slow go, uh, for Kadarius Tony in that offense. Yeah. Tony is way behind the eight ball and the giants have players that can keep him off, you know, off the field on the sideline. If, if he is slow, I want to get your take on something that I just saw that the Miami dolphins voted their team captains and Tua is not one of them they have five team captains and Tua was not one of the five um Matt Collins is though my guy yes Matt Ryan Collins, Fitzpatrick last year was voted a team captain um so it's controversy yeah like I'm curious what is your take on this it's not necessarily you know a massive story or a death knell for Tua that he wasn't but it's certainly noteworthy I would say that the starting quarterback was not voted by the team as a captain It's definitely a surprise. And when I looked at that list of Dolphins team captains, I actually kind of had to laugh. I mean, it's, it's Jesse Davis, Matt Collins, Jason McCourty, Landon Roberts, and um, Clayton. I do not know how to pronounce his name. I should not have set myself up to even try this. 
Um, uh, trust me, Doug, that, that's what this show's all about. Steve <laughs> starts to pronounce a name, realizes it's wrong halfway through, but you just, sometimes you just power through. Mm. Fejadelum? Is that, is that correct? I think it's Fejadelum. Fejadelum. Uh, so, I mean, not the highest caliber players uh, on that list there for the Miami Dolphins. You've got a couple of former Patriots on that list. It's a surprise to me. It's a major surprise to me that Tua was not voted a captain. And like you said, it's voted by the team. So this isn't some power play by Brian Flores or anything to do with the coaching staff. They simply viewed Jesse Davis and Matt Collins as being better representatives of the team than Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And I don't think that that's a great sign for Tua. I think that on you know 90% of teams, you do see the, the starting quarterback on that list. Uh, Mac Jones was not named a captain for the Patriots. So I'm sure the Dolphins fans would want that to be out there as well. True. But that's a little bit more understandable when it is a rookie quarterback. And actually, uh, Trevor Lawrence was voted a captain by the Jacksonville Jaguars. So certainly not out of the realm of possibility for a rookie uh, to be named a captain. But I would say that, you know, it's not a major concern that Tua is not a captain, but it's certainly something to look at. And I think that the way that the Dolphins used him last season, where they really used Ryan Fitzpatrick to bail him out of games last season, I wouldn't be surprised if that plays as a factor in this as well, because if they couldn't count on him to be playing 100% of games or 100% of the season last year, then maybe you don't want to count on him as a captain this season as well, given just how the team viewed him last year. Why are you starting? Why are you stirring this up? It's interesting. It's interesting. I look, the, the Patriots won second year quarterback, right? Why is he not a captain? Because he's a second-year quarterback. Fitz has been in the league for 15 years. And the Patriots ones, okay, they haven't named Mac Jones a captain either. But when you look at the list of players they have named, it's like, you know, long-term leaders of the franchise, right? It's Dante Hightower. It's David Andrews, Devin McCourty. Matthew Slater has been there since the 1950s. James White. <laughs> the Dolphins also named longtime leaders of the Patriots franchise, just like mm. you know, Landon Roberts, Jason <laughs> McCourty, right? That's, it's the same. They're, they're naming the same. And plus, Matt Collins. Yeah. The great Matt Collins. I'm just guy. saying the list of people that the Dolphins have named captains is a little bit harder to understand why your starting quarterback isn't a captain than it is with Mac Jones. Justin Herbert, captain for the Chargers, second-year oh, quarterback. Look at Doug. Good job. Stir the pot, yeah. Doug. Just keep stirring it up. I, and I hate to do this because Dolphins fans, like, go at you really hard on Twitter. Oh, so I, I, I know I'm setting myself up here. But, I mean, listen, it, it is. It's worth, it's worth at least noting. I'd Zach say. Wilson named team captain. Oh, gosh. In the same division. Why is Mac, why is Mac not a captain then? I just told you because look at the list of people just in the Patriots. There's so many uh, Patriots way folks yeah. ahead of them. Uh, I, I want to talk about Mac Jones and the Patriots in a minute. They are playing the Dolphins in week one. I think, Doug, you were there for the legendary 35 for 40 performance for Mac Jones. But sure. before we get into it, got to give a shout out to our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is free. Fantasy Football League Manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. And PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on fan tracks this season they feature multi-team trades bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage if you're coming from another site not a problem fan tracks can import any of your current leagues completely free you can create a free account now using promo code pff at fantrax.com pff get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league plus six thousand dollars it's promo code pff at fantrax.com pff mac jones was 35 for 40 in the blistering heat i mean there, there's going to be a 30 for 30 on on this 
uh, joint practice someday, right? When when Mac Jones wins his first Super Bowl, the day that he won the job, essentially, what 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 was that like? What happened that day? So I I even included the one on one drills as well. So I had him forty eight of fifty five, only seven missed passes that entire practice. Um, it was it was pretty it was, I guess exceptional would be a, a tough word to use there, but essentially before that practice. Um, even going back a week or so, I had asked, you know, sources close to the team, you know, who's going to win this starting job? Do you think Mac Jones has a chance? And at that point, it still was, okay, Cam Newton's probably going to be the starter uh, for this team. But then once Cam Newton went into COVID protocol, I kind of reached back out and said, listen, is there a window open for Mac Jones to win this job? And the, the answer was, yes, if he's good over these next five days, then there absolutely is. And even before that, he had been described as excellent for the Patriots through training camp. So then you go into that five-day break where Cam Newton's out. And during one of those practices, you have Mac Jones go 48 of 55 and in competitive passes. And I'm not sure if that practice alone was the one that sealed it for Mac Jones, uh, but he came back pretty solid in the next practice, looked good in the preseason game. I think at that point, they just said to themselves, listen, let's just do it. Let's turn it over to Mac Jones. He's been better than Cam Newton. It, we can probably depend on him more because of the, the vaccination status as our starting quarterback. And if it's close between the two, you might as well just run with a rookie quarterback if you can trust him and depend on him as much as you can the veteran and Cam Newton. So I think that that's ultimately what did it. But I do think that, that those five days when Cam Newton was out was absolutely massive for Mac Jones and for him to put in that performance that it's, it's funny. Like we joke about it obviously, because it is training camp stats, but really in any setting where you're only missing five or seven throws out of 40 or 50 attempts, you've had yourself a pretty good day, whether it's on a practice field in a game, preseason game, scrimmage, anything like that. So obviously those practice, um, days for new or for Mac Jones as the starter were huge in him winning the job. But do you think that they actually made that decision after that final preseason game? Because what was so weird to me was that they, if they had made the call before that game, they deliberately sent Mac Jones out there with the second team offense for the first time this preseason, when that happened, when he came out uh, and the starters all left the field and Mac Jones was dealing with the second team offensive line, the second team receivers, to me, that was like a signal that this is now Cam Newton's job. They've made the decision Cam Newton's going to stay as the starter, and they're now sort of protecting things that way, that the first team is only going to play with, with Newton for this final game. And then obviously it comes out 24 hours later, it's the exact opposite. It's, it's Mac Jones has been named the starter. So do you think they'd essentially had, had made that call that, that Cam Newton was going to be the starter of the team, and then Mac Jones impressed them so much with the second team that they almost like reverse course and change their minor. How, how did that dynamic play out uh, as you understand it? I, I don't think you're alone in that theory that, you know, yeah, Cam Newton was with the first team. So obviously he's the starter. I looked at it a little bit differently. And I think that what Bill Belichick and the Patriots coaching staff did was took that entire week as a whole. And they said, all right, in this, the first practice that we had against the giants, Mac Jones took every single rep against the first team, 55 throws, whatever it was. And then in the second uh, practice, I think Cam Newton was only on the field for two drives. Uh, both came against the first team uh, defense and with the first team offense. And Mac Jones took two or three drives 
with the first teamers as well. So then I think that they had seen enough of Mac Jones with the first team offense and against the first team defense heading into that preseason game where they said, okay, now we can put Cam Newton out there with the first team, see how he does, see how he compared to Mac Jones over the course of the week, and then we can make our decision. So I don't think that there was a decision made before that final preseason game. I don't think that Mac Jones won it because of how he played with the second team. I just think that he was on the field with the second team because he had taken so many reps with the first team over the course of the rest of the week. So they took, they take the whole body of work there. They take the full body of work. And that's what I want to know here. You've seen a lot of Patriots training camps, obviously, right? So when we talk about Mac Jones in training camp, how does it stack up? Because every every throw he makes is going to be compared to Brady. I was going to say, are you asking? Every single throw. <laughs> asking I'm just saying how this close is, is Mac Jones to Tom Brady? This is the reality of Mac Jones' career, right? He's going to throw a 15-yard yeah. dig route. They're going to be like, oh, Brady made that throw. Hey, look, watch, watch Brady <laughs> make that throw. They're the same guy. So we've you've seen Jimmy Garoppolo, and you've seen Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo in 2016 have to take starter snaps at one point. So starter reps as far as training camp goes. I mean, you've seen the great Ryan Mallett. Of course, too. <laughs> uh, but Tom Brady. So, how did Mac Jones' training camp compare to uh, you know the greats, Brady, Garoppolo, and Mallet? You know, you know, you could throw Tim Tebow in there as well. You could throw Danny Yetling <laughs> in there as well. Lots of uh, legendary quarterbacks over my time on the Patriots beat. Not as good as Brady, uh, but I would put him up there with with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo, especially entering that third year when he was going to be a starter, um, I'd put him. I'd put him you know, around there. And I actually think that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't always as good of a player in practice as he was in game. So if you're taking, if you're talking strictly practice, Mac Jones might've been a little bit better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And this is going to sound a little bit wild to say, but one of the things that really impressed me about, about Mac Jones, especially in those joint practices against the giants was actually his ability to get out of the pocket, throw the ball on the move, and go off script a little bit. He was getting out of the pocket, you know, pointing at wide receivers, telling them, you know, to, to run to the back of the end zone, run to the corner of the end zone, throw the ball there. A lot of nonverbal communication there after the play started, after he was out of the pocket. And that's one thing that does separate him from Tom Brady, because you're not seeing Tom Brady even have that minimal amount of mobility needed to be doing those types of things. So obviously you're going to be comparing Mac Jones to Tom Brady. Tom Brady is better than, than Mac Jones at a million different things, but the, the mobility of Mac Jones has been a little bit overlooked. The guy ran a four, eight, two You know, it's not a, it's not a four, four. It's not Justin Fields, but faster than a lot of other quarterbacks. And one thing that I thought was really interesting before uh, you know, the draft, when I was still on the Patriots beat, looking at all of these first round potential quarterbacks is I was trying to find a 40 time for Trey Lance because he didn't run before the draft. When Mac Jones and Trey Lance were coming out of high school, Mac Jones ran a faster 40 yard dash than Trey Lance. I, I think it was like a 492 for Mac Jones, like a 493 or four or something like that for Trey Lance. And obviously Trey Lance, much better running quarterback, much better vision, much more mobile at this point. But that just does tell you that Mac Jones is not a complete statue under center, that he can actually make some, he can at least move around in the pocket to make some plays off script. Man, it's in his feel for the game. I mean, it speaks to his feel for the game too, like the athleticism to do it, but he does have a, a good feel. I mean, back, it does look like he's going to be good. And, and Sam, your point the whole time is that they were challenging him 
yeah to, to start right i mean and that's the other part doug did it feel like they were putting a lot on his plate i mean they ran no huddle right away yep. they put him into tough situations you know of course he was forced into the day where he had to throw the ball 40 you know 50 times against the ones but you know they it feels like they were trying to do as much as they could to either prepare him or challenge him or just make sure that he was ready to go i agree with that and i think that also goes back to basically throughout training camp mac jones was taking reps against the first team Patriots defense and with the Patriots first team offense. And beyond just the fact that they were putting everything on his plate, like you said, with the no huddle, I think really expanding the offense for him, just the fact that they were trusting him to take those first team reps almost right away. When you go back to Trey Lance, I'm not taking shots at Trey Lance or anything like that, but it took a really long time for the 49ers to actually start mixing Trey Lance into first team reps. So that's what told me right away that this was going to be a legitimate competition between Mac Jones and Cam Newton Patriots training camp, and that they were going to put as much on Mac Jones plate as possible to see if he could win the job. And obviously ultimately uh, that was the case. The, the measurables thing is interesting because that's, it kind of goes to what we've been saying recently that we, everybody just immediately focused on the wrong things with, with Mac Jones. The conversation was always tilted in the wrong direction from the outset. And yet he was never actually that bad an athlete. Okay. Compared with Justin Fields and his four, three and the cannon for an arm and all those kinds of things. Yes. He doesn't stack up compared with all of them, but compared really? with yeah. Yeah, to a degree, but compared with just quarterbacks, right? Level of athlete for the position. Mac Jones is above the 50th percentile in 40, 20, 10-yard split, broad jump, you know, any of these measures of like athleticism and explosion. Whereas if you compare it to Brady, Brady is in the first percentile for 40-yard dash. He's in the zeroth, the zeroth percentile <laughs> for vertical jump. It. That's how we display it in PFF Brady IQ. essentially yes. can't get off the ground when it comes to vertical jumping. <laughs> that he's, was in 1999, though. The second 2000. percentile for broad jump. Like, Brady is a genuinely pitiful athlete in was. terms of he explosion. Was, he wasn't as pliable in his Michigan days. Right. Like, now on. Now that he's been doing the... Uh, the, yeah. the He's got the band workouts going right. and the stuff. band workouts and the, the plyometrics and the, the avocado tequila uh -huh. just all adds up. You I reckon think. he's what up to like the, the eighth percentile Definitely now? Eighth, eighth yeah. to tenth percentile but in like, his forties. I mean, Mac Jones, it's he's never going to be leaning on the athleticism as like the cornerstone of his game or anything. But again, people I think automatically always oversold just how bad an athlete he is, which is to say, not that bad. All right, I, I want to wrap it up with the Niners in a minute here, but um, Patriots, do they look better in general with all their, they spent half a billion dollars, all their additions, they're going to be better this year? For sure. I mean, last year, you guys know, you had Nick Thurman playing defensive tackle. You had Therese Hall playing linebacker. Like they, they were basically at the point with injuries, opt-outs, uh, dead cap, all of those things where they had practice players playing you know, massive snaps on defense. Now you play, replace those guys with Devin Godshot, defensive tackle, Christian Barmore, Kyle Van Noy, Dante Hightower, uh, Josh Uche took a huge leap forward. The biggest concern there is at cornerback because Stefan Gilmore is missing the first six weeks of the season on the pop list. Uh, there's still the, the contract issue going on there. He's still dealing with a quad injury. And until that point, I don't, I almost don't believe my eyes about what they're going to do at the cornerback position because we saw JC Jackson and Jalen Mills as their outside cornerbacks, Jonathan Jones still in the slot. Maybe they do just roll forward with Jalen Mills as an outside cornerback, but that didn't go great for the Philadelphia Eagles. That's why he was moved into the slot, into that hybrid safety role. That's the role that I expected Jalen Mills to fill, to fill on the Patriots. 
Now you've got a guy who's kind of undersized, kind of slow, taking on some of these wide receivers in the AFC East. I'll see how it goes. The other options there aren't that much better, though. Uh, they brought in Sean Wade from the Baltimore Ravens, but he's probably better in the slot than he is outside. Joan Williams has been not the greatest second-round pick from 2019. He's really struggled to find the field and looks like a guy who's better suited to cover tight ends and bigger wide receivers. So we'll see what they do. This game against Miami, not to get too deep into a week one matchup, is interesting to me because of the wide receivers that the Dolphins have. I would not be shocked. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm not saying that I've seen this or heard this, but would it make sense at least for one game to move Jonathan Jones actually outside where he might be facing guys like Jalen Waddle, where he might be facing guys like Jakeem Grant or Albert Wilson, guys who aren't those prototypical, you know, tall wide receivers that you'd usually see on the outside. They, it might just be some, some stop and go uh, early in the season for the Patriots as they figure out, how to move forward without Stefan Gilmore for those first six weeks of the season. That's why overall much better. They'll, they'll be much better. And I do, but I do wonder if that ends up being a scheme change for them as well. I mean, they've played as much man coverage as any team in the league. We've talked about that quite a bit here as well, for sure. but it's not like Belichick hasn't played zone heavy. I mean, he's done it all. He's, he's played zone heavy defenses when his personnel dictates it yep. on paper, the personnel might dictate, Hey, let's take a little bit off the corners plates right now, especially if Gilmore isn't back you know, for a while. Yeah. Uh, Sam, Sam went and made a very bold Super Bowl take that is uh, locked and set in stone. Sam, Sam, take it away. Let's, let's see how good your uh, Super Bowl pick is going to be here. Uh, I said that, that the Washington football team were going to win the Super Bowl and that Fitzmagic would take them to the NFC Championship game before uh, Taylor Heineke took them the rest of the way. What a very specific prediction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Full, full Joe Flacco followed by full Nick Foles essentially was how that was going to break down what a year it's going to be here in 2021 so what how the football team how, how did the future super bowl champ football then, team by like, the way oh, at that yes. point at that point they're going to be locked in to being the washington football team mm, today on, on adam Schefter's podcast it was like eight finalists of names that they've settled on rebranding the washington football team is still one of the eight and if you win a super if bowl, you win a super yeah. bowl with that you can't go away from it you can't, can't then rebrand the red wolves or whatever you've got you're stuck with it you now you are the washington football team from here on out so that's the prediction How's that I, how say I kinda, you i kind of like the washington football team i actually kind of like that name in general i think it's fine to refer to a team as the football team it does make them hard to write about but overall i'd say that I spent a good chunk of time there in Washington as well, uh, watching their practice. The offense wasn't really firing on all cylinders that day. The defense definitely looked quite a bit ahead of the offense. That being said, Curtis Samuel was not on the field. That being said, Curtis Samuel still is not really fully back on the field. So could take a while for him to get back in the mix. Uh, but Terry McLaurin definitely set to have a big year, like what they did on, uh, at wide receiver. I think overall that offense could be uh, an offense that really starts clicking midway through the season if Ryan Fitzpatrick can look like Ryan Fitzmagic rather than, you know, the, the up and down player that we've seen throughout the years, but really the big thing there is on defense. I think that their defense is set to have a really big year. Jamin Davis there in the middle of their defense is someone that uh, Washington football team is really, really, really impressed with. I think that he'll be a, a day one impact player there big linebacker who can move really well. I know that the coaches really like him. And then obviously just that, that front seven in general uh, should be the strength of that team overall. Some slight questions I'd say in the secondary, especially cornerback, 
Uh, but obviously any team is going to have some questions. Not quite sure about Super Bowl favorites, uh, but I could certainly see uh, WFT being a, being a playoff team again this season. There you go. I mean, they, they have all the pieces, Sam. Yeah. I, so, all right. I, the prediction is clearly, you know, a little bit out there when, you, when you're talking <laughs> about a full Flacco followed by a full Foles to make it happen. It's probably not, you know, one for the, uh, the odds makers, but I'm, I am interested that they still seem to be quite heavy underdogs in terms of odds just to win their own division. Like right. most people um, still have Dallas out there as the clear favorite. To me, it's much closer than that. It's, it's almost a toss up between those two. And of the two, I would lean Washington. I agree with that. I think that it should be closer. Um, obviously, the big thing is just you go back to the quarterbacks, and Dak is just so much better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Obviously, he has to stay healthy. Already dealt with the shoulder injuries this summer. But um, if it is close, I think that you give the edge to the quarterback. But I would say that Washington definitely has a better overall constructed roster than Dallas does. Right. All right, let's wrap it up with this. Uh, in all of your travels, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, but in all nice. your travels, anything else, anything broad that stood out or themes or, or any other newsworthy items from uh, all your travels across training camp? That's a good question. Um, I definitely think that the Chargers are are another team, obviously, to watch this season. All yeah, of that depends on Justin Herbert. By the hype. But, I mean, Justin Herbert, you really just like his mentality. He's a different type of quarterback. And even beyond the, the great story that Mina Kimes wrote about him, He's a guy who I think is really hard on himself, but it's a motivational tool that really works for him. Uh, and that's kind of what you hear around Los Angeles is that he is a different type of player. He's maybe a little bit more introverted uh, than most quarterbacks are, but it works for him. And it obviously worked for him last year. Uh, I wrote a story on, on Josh Palmer. I'm expecting big things out of the rookie wide receiver there uh, with the Los Angeles Chargers. And one other stop that I made was just, uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. And I would say that once everything comes together and, and who knows if it will all at the same time, but if Rashad Bateman can be healthy at the same time as Sammy Watkins at the same time as Hollywood Brown, I actually think that has a chance to be a pretty good pass catching unit for Baltimore. It hurts that JK Dobbins is out for the season. Uh, but you know, you throw in Mark Andrews in there as well. I actually think that they've, they've built enough there at wide receiver and tight end to make Lamar Jackson succeed more as a passer than he did last season. So I, I'm pretty high on Lamar Jackson once that wide receiver core comes together. But from what we saw over the summer, who knows if that will all gel all at the same time, just because of all the injuries that those guys dealt with uh, over the course of training camp. And that was my Super Bowl pick, right? Is that who I chose on the last show? As opposed to the other times I've made Super Bowl picks? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think on the last show, my Super Bowl pick was Bucks and Ravens. And maybe even on Twitter. Like, I might have even picked this twice. So, there we go. My Super Bowl pick. By the way, as much as we think of Dak Prescott as being a dramatically better quarterback than Ryan Fitzpatrick, since the start. Oh, of course you did. Since the start of 2018, <laughs> uh, Dak Prescott's PFF grade, 84.0, ranks 15th in the NFL. Ryan Fitzpatrick's PFF grade, 83.2 ranks 16th, one after the other, wow. basically in the same place. The only problem is Fitzpatrick played a lot of football before 2018, and that's still a part of the evaluation. No, it's all gone. It's done now. Fitz has been <laughs> real water good under the bridge. Take out just as two that games. was pre magic. Take out the two ridiculous week one games in 2018. That was pre magic. That was just Fitzpatrick. Now he's oh, okay. Fitz magic. He's a different player. He's full magic now. Yeah. Uh, last question, Doug. What happened to the Washington Huskies this weekend? Oh my what? God. Oh my God. That 
I, I wanted to tweet about it, but I was like, I don't want to set myself up for, for dis- I mean, that was just absolutely insane. I, they need to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. Uh, I'm not a Dylan Morris guy. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I think that they need to turn it over to the, uh, the legendary bloodline of Sam Heward. It's, it's time to roll with Sam Heward. Okay. So he wants to make a quarterback change over there nope. in Washington. Yeah. The Washington guy. Uh-huh. Got it. You know? This is the PFF NFL podcast right. i know you got, got the helmet somewhere up here washington helmet yeah mark brunel we're just yep, mark a couple brunel. mark brunel fans here yeah you know that's uh-huh. what it is well doug i've actually got a mark brunel starting lineup back here in my, really? uh, in my, in my i did too I, over here at the office and he like lost a leg and an arm and all <laughs> lost in construction it was it was rough mine's at university of washington though, not yeah. Jaguars. rose bowl mvp mm-hmm. he's a man mark. that got beat up in his playing days as well so he did mark he took like 60 sacks it's just day. more authentic now yeah sure Anyway, Doug, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. We'll have you back for sure. Um, go check out all of Doug's work over at uh, pff.com. What's the Twitter handle as well? It is Doug Kide. I'm keeping right. it simple. A Y E D. Doug Kide. All right, buddy. Thanks for right. thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks. All right. Thanks to uh, thanks to cousin Doug for joining the show. Good a little family Doug. affair here. Yeah, it's good. You it's don't nice. want to lean on that too much. People don't like the nepotism angle. Now it's important. It's important it to emphasize. It was funny when we didn't work together. It's important to emphasize just how far apart the connection of the two of you are. Like We're not he, really cousins. What did he say? It was second cousins in law or something, as if that's a thing. Right. It just means you know each other. I, that's why Probably. I try to lay it out. Maybe when I say my wife's stepmom, right? I mean that immediately, you know. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a, a it's a it's a big leap right away. And then it's her cousin's daughter's husband. I yeah. mean it's it's a long way away. That's uh-huh. why it's it's more fun. It's fun. We're just having fun here. Um, I will say it's nice to have a little uh, national beat writer feel that we've added to, to PFF and get a little extra insight to either confirm things that we had considered or hear you know new takes on um, just what's happening at mm-hmm. the uh, various training camps and everything. So a nice little angle to have have Doug. Maybe we'll have him a little bit more during the season as well as the as the newsy stuff picks up. Speaking of the season. It's the football season. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try this out. We're going to do our Thursday night game preview here on the Wednesday show. Yeah. On our midweek show. So we're going to preview Bucks and Because otherwise we don't get to it on the basis that the game has happened by the time you Yeah, we it. usually roll through it quickly on the Thursday preview show. So tomorrow's show, Thursday show, we're going to go through each game. We'll give you something to watch on each game. We'll go a little bit longer on some of the bigger games, of course. Um, but we usually touch on the Thursday night show and we say stuff like, oh, you've already seen it. If a lot of you have already listened to, you know, seen the game as you listen to the podcast, we'll give you a little bit more time yeah. to get your game. Now we can actually game. predict and won't be wrong but by the time you listen to it, unless you're listening to it late. Yeah. And you still might be listening to the Wednesday show on a Friday, but and we know, might still be wrong, but at least it's there's been, you. there's been some time for you to listen to it beforehand. All right. Well, so what do you expect? What are you looking for in this <clears> Bucks Cowboys game? Bucks favored by about eight. Last time I checked, we'll, we'll get that final, final number here as of right now in a minute. <laughs> as of right now as in a of minute. right now in a minute when okay. i look it up but it's, it is eight it's been yeah. eight okay there we go um it, this is going to be interesting because obviously the big sort of story heading into this heading into the game it's all dallas right it's Dak prescott's first action since <laughs> since his devastating injury sorry i'm laughing because i was trying to figure out a way of stitching in the tony romo commentary to it and i couldn't i couldn't come up with one on the fly for tony anyone he misread his injury a little bit a lot it's it's maybe the most funny piece of announcing slash commentary it's I've ever funny. seen in my Poor work. Dak's ankle's fallen off. And- right. Poor Dak wrecks his ankle, like broken, obviously down and done for not just the day, but like long term. Bad injury. Guys on the floor 
trying to like, I mean, he was saying it, I think on Hard Knocks or wherever it was that he, like his initial thing was to just like pop it back into place and then get to the sideline and get off, right? But he didn't realize that it was, wasn't attached anymore. You can't just like pop it back. So poor Dak's busy like fumbling with his foot, trying to attach it back onto his leg. And Tony Romo is busy saying, you just got to hope it's cramped, Jim. It's not cramped, Tony. I can tell you that for, for sure. I'm, I'm no doctor over here, but I promise you it's not cramped. Anyway, this is the first time since the not cramped injury that Dak Prescott's going to be on the field because they kept him out of preseason. He was dealing with the nicked up shoulder. Um, and now he's dealing with an offensive line that's banged up as well. Uh, Zach Martin is out for the game on the COVID list. Has he been officially, officially out yet? There was talk that they were like readying the jet that they could fly him in yeah, morning of. If he Right now, I think they're still, I think they're trying to do negative tests. So he still could make it with so negative So probably tests. out is how yeah. I would phrase Lyle that. Lyle Collins, it sounds like, is going to play at right tackle. Yes, which is just as well because yeah. Tyan Secchi's also questionable. Um, so all of a sudden, this Dallas offensive line that's obviously been the strength of this team for years is looking a little bit weak up the middle. It's not looking great in terms of the tackles unless both those sort of injury-prone and or recently injured tackles bounce back immediately to their very best. And you've got a quarterback who hasn't really taken a snap in anger since, you know, week five last year. And uh, so that's the big story from a Dallas standpoint. The other big story is Tampa Bay rolling everybody back to defend, everybody to defend their title. Uh, as of record time, you've got Chris, although you've got Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown, both listed as questionable with mm -hmm. uh, quad and a knee. I think uh, quad for Chris Godwin and knee for Antonio Brown. That was unexpected because there were no real injury issues with Tampa Bay. Jermaine Whitehead's out in the secondary, but they're deep enough that it's not a huge deal, I don't think, there. Uh, but any if, if the Bucks lose either of those playmakers, it's not that they don't have other guys to throw to, but that part of their advantage is like, hey, go cover yeah. these three receivers and these three tight ends and, and, and good luck. Right. I mean, if, if you they lose, lose any of that advantage, you know, you got to feel a little bit better as a Cowboys fan. Right. But even if they lost both of them, you would have to rely on the paltry receiving options of your three quality tight ends, Mike Evans, um, Scotty Miller, you know, Tyler Johnson steps up maybe like, you're still okay. And, and the Bucks did that last year. They had uh, last year, Mike Evans played banged up quite a bit. Chris Godwin was banged up. Uh, at various points in the year Antonio Brown missed a playoff game as well I mean they they were always in and out OJ Howard missed the majority of the season um, so I I'm looking forward to seeing how aggressive the Bucks are right you have a whole offseason of all these playmakers and all that do they just do they just try to go nuts and you know forget establishing the run and the early down runs and a lot of the stuff they did last year it's year two of Brady in the system are they just going to attack 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 and are they going to look at a Dallas secondary that looks vulnerable new system yeah it's going to look a little different than last year but anthony brown trayvon diggs and jordan lewis coming off a of year's 54 62 48 pff grades not great do the bucks just look at the secondary and say all right we're going to attack like crazy yeah i mean it's it's absolutely possible this the dallas defense right now we expect to be significantly better this year on the basis that it couldn't be much worse um and we've talked before about how just the shame just the change to a new system and to a new coach should pay dividends by simplifying things, by getting everybody on the same page. On the other hand, it is like the glaring weakness from a year ago. So if you're starting off and you're Tampa Bay, that's where you're going to be attacking first and foremost. But they were also so incredibly weak up front 
that you're not going to be scared away from just pounding the ball right at them either. So I think, I mean, that's the, the real matchup heading into this game is, yeah, Dallas's offense suddenly looks like they're up against it a little bit because Dak's coming back from injury and because the offensive line looks weaker. But the bigger question is, like, can they even stop the Bucks scoring to let that offense have a chance? I mean, if this was, if this was a matchup last year, you would be saying it's just a shootout. It's Dallas's offense putting up. It's right. like the first month for Dallas last year was, was all of that. It was the offense putting up insane numbers of points and, and uh, yards but the team wasn't necessarily running away with these games and they were struggling to win them because the defense was giving up just as much. That's how I would expect this game to look if everything was healthy on the Dallas offense, but all of a sudden that part is starting to wobble. I want to see how Dan, you know, Dan Quinn takes over as defensive coordinator and does his scheme look like it did before, which was a lot of straight up cover three, cover one, Seattle-ish type of stuff, which Brady generally does well against and which the Bucs and their offense generally do well against. So the matchup doesn't look good for Dallas, but here's what I think could make it look good. If Micah Parsons, who again, Renner last year, last week at this time on the Wednesday show said, Micah Parsons is looking great. Um, agreed, you know, playing fast. If he, the, the investment that the Cowboys have made at linebacker, if that's, if that pays off, right? With Micah Parsons, with getting Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch playing fast or Keanu Neal, however that rotation looks, if those guys are playing fast, uh, taking away the middle of the field, which that which they need to do in that defense, that could throw a little wrinkle in there if the, if the Cowboys just really upgrade in the middle of the field in, in spots where they were weak last year. Just from the preseason, um, sixty percent of Dallas's defensive snaps were either cover three or cover one. Fifteen percent cover two. So like they're leaning into that Dan Quinn. Yeah. And the Bucks, the Bucks already. are going to run four verts over and over again, and Brady's going to go through, and he's got. Whether all the receivers are out there or not, he's got great options, right? A lot of times their four vert package, it could be it could be OJ Howard and Gronk on the same side. It can be Scotty Miller in there, as you mentioned, as a legitimate deep threat. And if if Scotty Miller gets one on one with Anthony Brown or with uh Trayvon Diggs, maybe not as much because of his size, but Anthony Brown or Jordan Lewis, that's a you know, speed mismatch for Scotty. So they'll they'll probably try to take a shot here and there. Um I, I think so I think the Bucks certainly have the offensive advantage unless i think the the cowboys get some incredible play at the linebacker position or up front you know with demarcus lawrence rushing off the edge but on the other side the bucks part of what made the bucks good last year is their young secondary coming together as well dallas is going to challenge them with their three top receivers yeah. so that's why we're expecting a shootout because dallas can move the ball tampa Bay can move the ball um, but I think that matchup with, you know, the Bucks secondary against the Dallas receiving core is going to be a good one as well. That's the sort of big um, X factor in this season for Tampa Bay. Yes, running it back with everybody, including the assistant coaches, is a great thing. And we expect generally that so much, so much actually went against Tampa Bay last year that there's a huge conceivable way they could be a better team this season than last season. But the one area where it could all unravel quickly is the secondary, not because they don't have talented players, but just because that's the nature of secondary play. As much as most of those guys played well last season, it wouldn't take much for two or three of them to be not great this year. And all of a sudden that secondary is actually kind of porous and an area of weakness without any real way of like fixing it. You know what I mean? It's just sometimes that's the way coverage works and you're gonna suffer the downswing of variance. And it's just a, it's just a weak area of your team that we don't like on paper right now, it's not a weakness. It doesn't, you know, it looks fine. It looks like the rest of this roster 
which is to say one of the better in the NFL, certainly no weak link here. But it wouldn't take much for you to be looking at this in week eight and say, you know, Tampa Bay is this great roster, but the Achilles heel, the thing that's going to keep them from repeating is these two or three guys that are underachieving in the secondary right now. And the thing is, when the Bucs, again, they were they were a good defense last year. They Everybody remembers an elite performance in the Super Bowl, right? Um, they got picked apart at times. Generally, it was it was underneath stuff, right? They would play um, some soft zone with Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean and Sean Murphy bunting. And I think I think Dallas can can play that game, play the quick passing game, have patience with their with their receivers. Uh, let I said on the daily, I think it's it's a DAC game. You know, I think you're going to be, you know, running into a brick wall against that Tampa Bay defensive front, especially if Zach Martin is injured. Yeah. Uh, even even if he's there, I don't know if you want to run the ball a ton if you're Dallas. Uh, but it's spread. Spread it out, short passing game. If you're Dallas, put the ball in Dak's hands and let him let him throw the ball forty or fifty times and try to light up the scoreboard. But do it in a patient way because I think the Bucks will give you opportunities to put together some some big drives. How do you think Dak's going to look first game back? I think he'll look fine. I mean, my I, I keep coming back to the shoulder injury stuff, and I think they, it's something you can you can zap it with with rehab and get rid of it if it really is just like a little you know, inflammation or whatever it is. Other times it can, it can nag at you. And if he's been on a pitch count again, it's like throwing a football is not like throwing a baseball or it's not as taxing on your arm. So I think right. arm wise, I think he'll be okay. Rust wise. I think the thing to look at is just pocket presence, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a Joe Burrow injury where Joe Burrow got hurt in the pocket yeah. and might be a little gun shy in there, but you still want to just see Dak, you know, take a hit and maneuver the pocket and all that stuff. And if, if once he does that, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll look good. Yeah. There probably is a difference between like hurting yourself like that, just out scrambling around just to freak, you know, the way the body's collapsed on you versus getting, you know, getting collapsed the way Joe Burrow did in the pocket as a sort of natural occupational hazard of playing football that you can see how mentally, even if the knee felt okay, you would start to react to pressure more. Whereas if it's just like, you know, I was running around and when the body's collapsed, this is how it went, it feels like that would be easier to get over. Yeah, and, and I, I keep mentioning the shoulder because I'm not concerned about Dak's ankle that much, right? I'm, I'm concerned about the shoulder because it kind of popped up and it kept him out of camp for a little bit. And it, to me, that's like the bigger thing that could, you know, that could derail the game but I think Dak looks fine I think Dallas moves the ball a little bit uh, ultimately I, I like the Bucks to win and I think they'll I think they'd cover eight I could see them covering eight if, if all their receivers are healthy I see them covering eight the the benefit of being the Bucks and having that roster the one preseason game we saw their starters Chris Godwin was the guy I think Mike Evans is going to have a big year you yeah. know, I think Antonio Brown, if if any of those three led the team in receiving yards, would you be surprised? No. I mean, that, that's right. so in any given game, any of those guys could go crazy. And I think that's it's just a matter of how they play and having those options, I think, just always gives Tampa Bay the advantage. Yeah, I think my big concern is just whether the interior of that offensive line for Dallas can hold up against Vita Vea and, and those kinds of things. Um, it's they're going to get overmatched up front and they're probably going to need to hang with Dallas, with uh, Tampa Bay in a shootout. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think they probably do cover. All right, so we're both taking the box. It's our Thursday night game preview. Don't forget, you get all of our, our green line, so all of our odds on the games. 
Uh, if you're still drafting for fantasy, you need nothing else but PFF. So we actually still have 30% off, kickoff 30, kickoff 30, 30% off. Anything over at PFF from a subscription standpoint for all your new all you new subscribers. So go check it out. PFF.com. It's kickoff three zero. We'll be back tomorrow mm-hmm. previewing every single game. Week one, baby. It's we here. made it. Week one. So tune in tomorrow. We'll preview all the games in this weekend's action. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you tomorrow.